Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. We are presented by Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. And we were all toasting with a nice Michelob Ultra late Sunday night, early Monday morning when Sporting Kansas City got a big win in penalties in the knockout rounds to get to the quarterfinals. They beat the Vancouver Whitecaps after a nil-nil situation at the end of regulation. They went on to penalties and won. We're going to break all that down for you. We're going to have Gianluca Busio on the show, the man who converted the match-winning penalty in that game on Wednesday, who's been the subject of a lot of conversation around the uh, MLS's back bubble as well. And uh, we're going to preview this quarterfinal match with the Philadelphia Union coming up on the show. Joining me as always from Orlando in front of the palm trees and the lagoon and the beach and everything there is the one and only Carter Augustine. Carter, what's up, man? How are you? What's up, guys? Doing great. Um, that was a game that I would have felt really bad for the team had they not progressed. So uh, I was glad, of course, to see them prevail in, in the penalty shootout, and it's on to the quarters. And, of course, uh, in her amazing uh, hipster apartment, Allie Trost, joining us as well. Uh, Allie, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Just like Carter, very glad that I uh, did not stay up till 1.30 in the morning for, uh, for more of a disappointment. That was an exciting uh, PK shootout. And still thinking about the fact that Peter Vermees then woke up two and a half hours later and went swimming. So I that is something... I woke up two and a half hours later and did a four-hour radio show. Not impressed, Peter. What else you got? Uh, <laughs> I would have felt really sorry for myself, by the way, had they lost the game, and then I had to do a four-hour radio show like a few hours later, too. It's all Man, about I, was think I was thinking of you, too, okay? You and yeah. Peter both. That was, uh, that was a solid effort. Oh, you went swimming five miles, you know? Well, I was busting my butt doing a radio show. Um, <laughs> That, that game, though, was something else. Let's start off by talking about it, guys. And 22 shots in the first half set all kinds of franchise records and otherwise, um, and, and there was nothing to show for it at that time. Uh, Carter, I'm curious from you in particular, did you get a sense of what the feeling was like maybe even at the halftime whistle when it was such an uh, just an utterly one-sided affair, but the score sheet was even? Yeah, and, and what, what strikes me is I think Jacob Peterson said it on the radio call. If they could just get one of those chances, you know, that, that game becomes completely different. But with, mm -hmm. with their ability to keep it at a 0-0 scoreline, the shorthanded uh, Vancouver team, you know, they're getting more confidence. They're, you know, they're kind of pulling all their wet wagons together. And um, I think as the game progressed, yeah, all the pressure started being mounted on Sporting KC. Um, I, I think one that stood out to me was the Johnny Russell chance. He, I know he, in retrospect, is saying, man, I, I should have buried that. Um, and, and if he did, I think it's a completely different game. That one, I think, was maybe the best chance in the first half. And then mm -hmm. difficult position being the third string coming into the tournament. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, would, I would say it was kind of – probably building in frustration there um, towards the end of the first half. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that that was really the concern. If you look at the progression of the game going then into penalty kicks is does this Vancouver team have enough momentum and enough feeling of we're still in this to maybe prevail in the PKs? As we know, Sporting 
just had too many weapons, whether it was Tamelia and goal or the players that they had taking the shots. But yeah, that game was just uh, a very frustrating one and interesting to see, given that while Sporting struggled to finish some of those chances against Minnesota, you thought that some of those uh, hurdles had been overcome by the team and that they had maybe found their way around uh, missed opportunities and, and some very opportune situations. So interested to see uh, how they maybe try to correct that against a really good Philadelphia team on Thursday. So Sporting Kansas City with 22 shots in the first half. I think they ended up with 13 in the second half uh, for a grand total of 35 and still nothing to show for it by the end of the game. Alan Polito had nine shot attempts in the game. Uh, Graham Smith, I think the poor guy had four open headers uh, from yep. around the six-yard box, and he put almost every one of them over the bar. And you can see the look on his face. Nobody needed to tell him, hey, get one of these on frame. He, he knows it. Um, but otherwise, he's played – hey, he's been a part of the two clean sheets, by the way, for Sporting Kansas City on that back line as well. And we're going to talk with Gianluca luca Busio about this in a little bit, guys. But I will say that I was a little worried about the mindset of the team going into penalties because we talk about it a lot in the sport of basketball. Carter, I know you, you guys are basketball fans. Um, when those games go to overtime sometimes, there's usually one team that's excited that it got to overtime, and then there's one team – that is like, how did we just blow that lead? <laughs> and usually yes. it seems like the team that wants to be in overtime, it doesn't always work out that way, but a lot of times that team ends up performing a lot better. It was like a celebration for Vancouver. Mark Dos Santos giving this big rousing speech to his team, and credit to them, by the way, with all the adversity they were facing, with so many players out, not making the trip, injuries, all of that. T to get to that point, they deserve a lot of credit, and they were – they wanted to be there. Sporting didn't feel like they should be there. And I was a little worried what their mentality might be like. But there's one factor that has to make you feel good. And it has to bode well for Sporting Kansas City, the rest of this competition. And it's that man in yellow, Tim Melia. This guy is unbelievable. His, his ability to read the mind of the person taking the penalty, whether it's because of the research that he does ahead of time or his ability to, to – to read the eyes of the guy taking the penalty. Carter, have you ever seen anything like this man? And his, I mean, obviously you got to make the stop when you, when you go the right way too. But one of the penalties, he took two steps to his left before the shot was even taken, stayed on his line and, and, and could have blocked it with his chest. Have you ever seen anything like this guy? The guys were making fun of him for that one because they said he almost overran it. You know, he, <laughs> Uh, he, he, he knew too well what was going on. I mean, he's, he's incredible. You said it. It, it. I think it's a combination. He, Alec Dufty, the, um, Ash Wallace, and then, you know, the other goalkeepers, they do a lot of research coming into these games. Um, and it's crazy the, the footage they'll dig up from guys' careers from, you know, if a guy played in Peru, they've got him taking a penalty in, in some random Peruvian stadium or something, you know. So it, they, they do so much work going into the game and it pays off and then also yeah he's got to uh, read the situation as it's happening in real time and he's so incredible at it um, and it's funny because you talk about the mindset going in and I, I asked Tim after the game you know I was trying to give him credit and asking you know about why he's such a good penalty stopper and he said well in this game uh, I just felt like we deserved to win and I didn't want us to go home after that game and he and he also wants to point out that he gets all the credit but um, 
he feels in every penalty shootout they've been in, sporting the, the takers are very, very good uh, almost every single uh, time. And so, you know, he's getting a lot of the credit, rightfully so. But uh, typical Tim Melia, he wants to pass on the credit to the penalty takers who he says have all the pressure on them. He said he doesn't feel much as a goalie because it, it's, you know, from the outside world looking in, when you come up as a shooter, you should be scoring in these situations. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's just great. It's typical to Amelia to put, to not taking any of the of the, the credit that he rightfully deserves and, and giving it all to the guys that stepped up and made the penalties. Carter, one of my biggest takeaways from the post game was Tim Melia being given praise in one way or another somehow in the question and immediately deflecting and giving that credit right back to his teammates. But it's something we talk about all the time with Patrick Mahomes, his quick processing abilities in real time that allow him to be so good and so individual almost in in so many situations that not many other athletes can can be in and succeed in. You see some of the stuff that he does and you're like, how did you even make that out of what appeared to be nothing. And Tim Melia, I think it's just a perfect combination of experience, skill, I mean, all of the preparation, and then his athleticism too. I mean, all of that in each moment, you can't overlook just how, I mean, athletically, you know, inclined you have to be to be that good in those moments. And that starts with the mental part to be able to process those moments quickly and in real time, but then to be able to physically act on it uh, and to get in front of the ball and in the right position is just huge. And he, I mean, that was a game of the goalkeepers, right? Thomas Assault throughout the, you know, regulation time and then Tim Mealy and PKs. It was, it was really exciting to watch. Well, we're going to get a tremendous goalkeeper matchup in this next game as Andre Blake from Philadelphia yeah. is, is a phenomenal goalkeeper himself. He's having a heck of a tournament. We'll talk more about that coming up in a little bit. But it's – the thing with me about Melia is he just keeps doing it when it comes to stopping penalties as well, whether it's in shootouts or in regular season games, when he has to face penalties, you you keep waiting for the averages to, to, to come around, you know, that, Hey, if the sample size gets big enough, he's going to give up, you know, 80% of the penalties he faces just like everybody else in the world does. And it almost seems to be going in the opposite direction. And one of the things I find fascinating about Tim as well is usually it, I feel like the, the goalkeeper is a big personality. He's usually the kind of eccentric one. You know, we've seen the, the, the very brash Tony Miola in goal for Sporting Kansas City. We've seen the kind of eccentric Jimmy Nielsen and all the – I mean, he was up to all kinds of shenanigans when penalties were going on, reading the, the note cards, doing the thing with, yeah, with the tongue that Carp was doing right there, walking up and, you know, delaying the start of the penalty, talking to the guy, all that stuff. And, and Tim's the exact opposite. He's like the guy at the poker table – that doesn't want anybody to see what he's doing, doesn't want anybody to know what he's thinking. And in a weird way, I'll use an analogy here. (laughs) Bucades are loud talkers, as you guys might know. And and my father was a yeller. As soon as anything would happen in our house, the guy, I mean, you know, the volume went up like crazy to the point where you're kind of like, oh, dad's yelling again, you know? My wife's family, her dad is, is, when he gets mad, he lowers his voice and it gets quieter. And I'm telling you, it's 10 times more intimidating. It's like, you know, you got to get in close. And it's, it's just, it's, it's scary when, you know, oh gosh, he's talking quiet. You know, everybody, everybody <laughs> better just straighten up and fly right. And with Tim, it's like the lack of performance, the lack of any of that stuff. You just have to know these guys on the other team, they've got to know what they're, what they're walking into or 
when I say know what they're walking into, I mean, they know they're going up against a phenomenal penalty stopper, but they have no idea why he's so good at it, what he's going to be thinking. He doesn't show anything whatsoever. And to me, that makes him pretty unique as a goalkeeper right there. Yeah. What's the saying, you know, goalkeepers are crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you have to be, you have to be some sort of insane to want to put yourself in front of these rocket shots coming at your face. Um, but he kind of goes opposite that mold. And I think you're right. I think uh, if they don't buy, if they didn't before this game, I think everyone in the league knows now how good he is. And he's got to look like twice the size that he actually is when they're putting the ball on the spot. Um, I do want to give him credit for in the game too. I thought he made three really difficult saves despite, you know, not having a lot to do for the vast majority of the game. And you hear a lot of times, sometimes that's harder because you're not quite as involved in the game. And so Vancouver started to get a little bit of pressure at the end of the first half. And he had a, he had two that he had to tip over the bar that were just absolutely steaming at him. And he made that look super easy. And then the one that, I was really worried about was the free kick at the end of the of regulation, yeah. Ali Adnan. We know how good he is on, on a dead ball. And that ball had a little bit of weird swerve on it as well. And I thought Melia made that look easier than it was and didn't give up a rebound. And, and yep. the ball bounced right in front of him. Um, that was a fantastic save. So, you know, he, he did a good job of keeping in the game. And part of that is, you know, we talked about the – the chances that sporting created the vast uh, amount of chances they created and couldn't break the deadlock. Um, but credit to the, the sporting KC defense, because uh, we knew Vancouver coming in was probably going to sit back and counter and, and they have so many fast guys. I thought, man, I don't know about you guys, but how good was Imbom in the game? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a good player. He, he didn't have anything around him really. Uh, yeah. He, he didn't have much around him. I feel like almost all of their chances came from him getting it with three guys draped on his back and he does a half turn and creates something. I thought he was really, really good. Um, but credit to this SKC back line. They, they really limited the number of good chances. It's a back-to-back clean sheets. We're seeing that partnership now, Grant Smith and Punchitz, but I think Graham Zusi was absolutely phenomenal in this game. And it might not show up in the stat sheet, the, the balls over the top that he was delivering. I thought Zeus had a fantastic game. So um, credit to the SKC defense as well. And, and Ilya in, in there as well. He was breaking up the play so well. They, they played so well in this game. Yeah, Carter, I couldn't agree with you more. And I thought Vermees said it really well after the game in his press conference. When there are those types of games that just aren't going your way offensively to have that many chances and not be able to convert on a single one of them, it could be it could be really easy for a team to mentally – get really frustrated, then as a result, have mental lapses that result in dangerous corners or or not corners, counterattacks and and different situations that could put the team right in a right there in a, you know, a trailing from behind situation and for Sporting Kansas City to be able to mentally stay so focused and so sharp, despite the fact that there were so many frustrations, especially in that final third and just not being able to finish off the ball defensively. I mean, there were some times that, like you said, uh, you mentioned those, those three situations where Tamelia definitely had to, to pull through and that one, that set piece and not letting out that second ball, not letting it bounce and, and turn into a, you know, a kind of hectic pinball like situation in the box was really impressive. And I just think that sporting, while it wasn't necessarily the, 
cleanest win because it had to go to penalty kicks and there were so many opportunities. It was a very whole team win. I mean, that took every single person and I mean, they deserve to get through that. It's as simple as that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this defense continue to grow and get better throughout the games because you're right, Graham Zusi, to me, has been one player on the field uh, that I've noticed getting better and better throughout each game. And the fact that he's played as many minutes as he has and still looks as sharp and, and, and is in tune to what's going on is, is really impressive. Yeah, so on, on a few of those points, the, the one saved by Tim – that he tipped over the bar with the, with the swinging hand. He just kind of like swatted it away. Like he was slapping a fly away. Um, that that's not an easy save. And he just kind of almost looked like he was annoyed by it. Just, you know, swatted it away. Get um, out of here. Yeah. Graham Zussi easily could have had two, three assists in that game with some of those, those balls that he put in that Carter talked about that, that found that he just put them on a platter for guys. And I think all those guys would say, Hey, I, you know, I could have scored, should have scored on some of those. Elie with six interceptions in the game and Johnny Russell with 10 key passes. I think Johnny was, was uh, maybe the best game he's had so far this year, even though that final product wasn't there. And again, I do think we have to give some credit. Uh, a lot of shots that were off target for sporting, they got to take that one on their own. But how many different times did you see just desperate defending by a Whitecaps player throwing his body in front of a good shot attempt to block it. And then of course the good saves by Hassal as well. But at the end of the day, because they didn't have any breakdowns defensively and because they got Tim Mealy in goal, Sporting Kansas City advance, and they go on to the quarterfinals. Well, one of the guys, if you're watching these games on television, of course, we encourage you to listen to these uh, games on Sports Radio 810 WHB, presented by Michelob Ultra. But when you're watching the games, the other day when Busio made his start, Gianluca Busio is getting a lot of attention from the national TV guys right now. His name's getting thrown around there with some of the biggest clubs in the world as a possibility someday. He's made no bones about the fact that someday he wants to play in Europe. But right now, he's helping Sporting Kansas City win games. He's going to be our guest next. Gianluca Busio, the man that scored the game-winning penalty, right on the other side. This is the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And the Sporting Kansas City Show continues on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content, we appreciate you watching, we appreciate you listening, and we are joined now by the man who had the clinching penalty as Sporting Kansas City got their first win in the knockout stages late uh, on Sunday night now, I'm trying to do the math in my head. If I can remember, I guess it would have been early uh, Monday morning by the time he uh, he executed that penalty. Anyway, Gianluca Busio is our guest. Uh, Gianluca, man, thanks for joining us. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, life in the bubble still. And, you know, happy to get the win the other night. And, you know, we move on to, to Thursday. And, yeah, everything's good. Everybody's in good mood and looking forward to the game. Okay, so let, let's start with what you said there before we even get into the to the game and the performance and all that. Life in the bubble. We were talking before we started here with you and Carter. You guys have been down there for three weeks now. Um, and I, I'm guessing that the experience is different for every person. For example, I've said, as the 44-year-old man with three kids, you could go put me in a bubble and let me sleep in a room by myself for three weeks, and I might, I might sign up for that as much as I love my wife and kids. But I'm in a different space in life. You're 18 yeah. years old. I mean, what, what's life like in the bubble for a person your age in, in, in what you've got going on in your life these days? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, obviously, um, it's not as bad as some some guys who have a, a family and kids at home. You know, they're probably missing them a little bit right now. But me, I'm kind of used to being away from my family. Obviously, my family's back in uh, North Carolina, so I'm used to being away from them. And I'm obviously I'm away from my host family, and you know, I, I enjoy being around them. But you know, I'm pretty much staying in a hotel room by myself, playing video games all day, and and training and playing games. So it's kind of what any high schooler would dream to do right now you know so uh it's not as bad obviously you know you kind of you, you know there's some health precautions and stuff that you have to watch out for but it's not as bad as, as some people say and i've been enjoying it and you know my teammates here make it fun all the guys my age too so it's not as bad as some would say and i'm, I'm enjoying it a lot this year, you're living the dream. My brothers would be inc incredibly <laughs> envious of you right now. Uh, they're all like in your age range. But I'm curious, you just mentioned the guys who are your age in the bubble. What's it been like for you all as a group? And what's been your favorite memory hanging out with all of them and getting to spend a lot of time yeah. in a kind of summer camp-like environment? That's yeah. just my perspective outside looking in. Yeah, yeah, no, every, I mean, we're all, this is kind of back to our, our academy days. We all, all the young guys used to, we used to play in the academy and you know, usually when, you know, everything's normal, you don't really have trips like the Academy anymore. You get, you know, you have fans and everything like that. But this really takes us back to, you know, the early days when, you know, you have early morning games, you know, you go go straight back to the hotel, no locker room or no showers and stuff like that. And you kind of have to, you know, stay in your room and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of it's kind of normal for us. And it's kind of nice to get back to it. And we've all enjoyed it and, you know, like the activities here that we have here. So. Like many golfers, you know, I was on Twitter the other night. That's something. That's something that was that was really fun. And you know, we're kind of being kids again. You know, it's kind of taking us away from all the responsibility. And obviously, you want to focus on soccer. But you know, outside of that, it's a lot of fun. And probably for me, the mini golf was the most fun so far, as of right now. But obviously, you know, the video games against each other and stuff like that. It's always fun. But yeah, we're just being kids again. So my uh, microphone has magically appeared here. Um, Busio, uh, I know mini golf, maybe the, uh, the competition didn't wind up going for your team's favor in that, in that first round, but uh, you talked about the, the video that went on Twitter and I'm giving you a platform here to uh, address the controversy. Um, yeah. uh, should that have been a stroke against the other team? Uh, yes, and it was. Uh, we determined it uh, after that, but... Um, yeah, so I mean, I'll kind of take you through it. Um, so we were playing 3v3 mini golf. Um, I don't know if many people play it that way, but you added up your team strokes, you added them all together. And I think me, Daniel, and Jalen, we each got maybe three or something. I don't know. I don't really remember. No, Jalen got a hole in one. So we were at like seven, something like that. And um, that was pretty poor from us because we wanted to get holes in ones. And then they went up, and Felipe and Kuz, they put theirs in. and Cam needed to tap that, you know, the video in. It was a short, short putt. He needed to tap that in for to win the hole. And, okay, maybe we were around him a little bit, maybe a little interference, but he stood there for five minutes trying to mock us, you know, be cocky. And as you can see, he touched it. And then if you look at his face, he ran away and acted, and he knew that he messed up. So you could see that. It then we were all like, okay, that counts as a putt. And they were all like, no, no, you guys interfered. He didn't touch it. But there was proof, and we looked back at it, and we all determined that that was a stroke, and we tied that hole. So you had an admission of guilt. Did you guys? I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. Carter, where, where, where did this thing finish out? I mean, who ended up winning? I, I think you can ask Boost that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, all right, well, they, they won, but we're playing again tonight, so 
I think we never finished really because we were supposed to play the the other course and we never finished. But as of right now, they're up. So so it, so th this this is that was the first leg. This was a, like a home and home okay. series, basically. Exactly. Now we play on the other course, the harder course. We're ready. Yeah, I was reading the sporting diaries of your, you know, chronicling your experience in the bubble, and you mentioned the food. And you said you're a big Italian critic, as am I. I'm curious, what is your favorite Italian dish? You've said you've had some good, good experiences down there, but I'm curious, outside of the bubble, what's your favorite Italian food? Outside of the bubble? Oh, huh. Ah, that's tough, because Italian for me is really just my mom cooking. So I don't really tend to eat out Italian, but um, there's, one, um, there's one in Kansas City. I want to say it's on Brookside, maybe Bella Napoli. I think that's yeah. what it is. Yes, yeah. um, very I good. I don't, I haven't gone there a lot, but I went there a couple times. With my host family, it was, it was really, really good. I mean, it tasted like actual Italian food. Food you don't get that much from some Italian restaurants, but that definitely I put that one as number one right now. In KC. Now, you said your mom cooks Italian, but your mom is from the Bronx, New York, and your dad is from Italy. How does that work out, and does your dad ever cook anything for you guys? Um, no. <laughs> My dad does not cook. He's, uh, he's big on presentation. He, he'll, yeah. like, cut up some fruit, and he'll, like, put it all in on these fancy plates and stuff and set it all up in different bowls. So it looks really good, but it's just him basically cutting. But my mom is the actual cook of the family. And she, when my dad and her started dating and when they were married, they were in Italy a lot before, you know, that my brother was the first one. So before he came along, they moved, they went to Italy a lot and spent a lot of time there. So my grandma taught my mom everything she knows about cooking and taught her everything. Wow. So she, she, my mom wasn't even that good of a cook. She, well, she was telling me before she went to, met my dad. So my grandma taught her everything, and then when, you know, she's cooking, now she knows everything from her, and I guess she's a pretty good cook all of a sudden. That's awesome. Um, I, I was reading that diary as well. Sounds like uh, your mom is kind of like my mom, still sending the worried texts about being in, in the bubble and uh, trying to figure out if everyone's getting tested all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get the same text every morning. It's the good morning results question mark question mark. <laughs> and yeah, but I it's kind of been like that since we started getting text tested in uh, Kansas. So I'm used to it now and she's kind of getting a little more loose on it. So it's okay. All right, so we're visiting with Jean-Luc Abusio. Let, let's talk some soccer now. And look, the this competition has been interesting because there's not a lot of people there to watch in terms of fans, mm -hmm. but there's some big name people there like Greg Berhalter, the coach of the U S men's national team. There's all these reports out there that players like yourself, other young players across MLS are being watched by clubs all over the world to see if, you know, see how you're playing as yeah. a player. Are you aware of that? When you got on the field, are you able to just completely set that stuff aside and go play Tell me about your thought process when, when, when you're playing in this type of a unique situation. Um, yeah, I think it, it goes – it's different for each player. Um, but obviously without the fans, it's automatically different for just the intensity of the game. But, yeah, so obviously it's, it's easier to get your head and caught up in all that stuff. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of rumors going around stuff. But obviously it's easy to get caught up into. But I think once you kind of get on the field, it kind of just goes back to, you, you know, being soccer. You know, you against another team. You don't really – 
pay attention to the outside stuff. Maybe there's not as much noise as you're used to and, you know, fans screaming and stuff like that. But uh, I think you can, I mean, I can do pretty well at just kind of blocking all that out. And when, you know, when I get in the game, you know, it's, it's me and focus on, on, you know, winning the game and on the bench, maybe it's a little more, more fun. You know, you can talk to your teammates more and, you know, you can kind of have a laugh. So I kind of, joke around a little more on the bench but you know once you once you step on the field and you know you don't really worry about anything outside of just going out there and playing well. Vermees was asked about a lot of the interest and the rumors that there are teams internationally uh, keeping an eye on you right now and he said that at all times they're going to keep your best interest at heart whether it's professionally or personally. As a player how reassuring is it to hear your coach say that they're always going to keep what's best for you in mind when making those decisions? Yeah, um, obviously it feels good, you know, um, knowing that you have a coach who not only trusts you but wants the best for you. And I think me and uh, me and Peter have had many talks from the start. Um, you know, when I signed, I, we already talked about my goal, and that's to be in Europe eventually at some point. I don't know when, but whenever it is. And he knows a lot more than me about this kind of stuff. So um, obviously he can he's going to try to move me in the right direction. And he's proved to me throughout these years that, you know, he can handle this and he knows how and he's treated me right and he's developed me, you know, amazing. So as you can see, so, um, yeah, I mean, I trust him and he trusts me and that's just so good that, you know, I can just go out and focus on my game only. Yeah, I have a few uh, former U.S. teammates down here. I think Joe Scali is, is having a good tournament. Uh, we're looking at, uh, George Bello was playing some as well. Have you got a chance to to talk to any of those guys? I know sporting's been mostly insulated, but uh, have yeah. you caught up with any of your former U.S. teammates? Or uh, Brian uh, Cahill just made a move to, to Wolfsburg as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I stay in touch with a lot of them, you know, just, you know, on social media and stuff. But uh, I think uh, I've seen Joe and George. I saw them kind of around the hotel. And, I mean, obviously we can't, you know, hang out in each other's rooms or anything. So it's usually just us crossing paths and, you know, talking for a couple of minutes. But, yeah, no, it's good to see them. And obviously we're in different hotels, but it's still nice to nice to see them and kind of communicate with them and just be around them again because, you know, usually you only see them one time and that's when you play against them or they come to you. So it's good to kind of get back to that. And, you know, we don't know when there's going to be another national team camp and we don't know when that's going to happen. So it's nice to see them knowing that, you know, you don't know when the next time it's, it's going to come. Hi, Bruce. Let's go back to the penalty shootout on Sunday night, late, well past midnight, your time. And we, we have, I don't know if you know this, we have a, a very experienced, qualified photographer down there capturing these images through the course of the match by the name of Carter Augustine. And, and Carter actually, and I mean this, he put out a really cool set of pictures after the match, which have you, I don't, did you see these that, that yeah. involve you in the team? So, so for people that haven't seen it yet, Carter put out there this picture of, you know, Tim had just made the, the third save, and it was a picture of you guys all at the middle of the field, and everybody's celebrating, but you have this look on your face like you're getting ready to get focused. You know, I, I got to go make this penalty now. Can you take me back through what you remember from, from Tim making that save, what was going through your mind all the way up to the penalty itself? Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously when they, when the, well, it started when the, the 90 or the game, the regular time was over, uh, they named the, the PK takers and I knew that I was fourth and, you know, usually 
and most PK shootouts, either fourth or fifth guy usually wins the game for the for the team. And obviously, with Tim being the goalie, you kind of already have an advantage on your side. So I was kind of I saw the it then you know it started, and I saw that he made the first save or, or they hit the post, and then he made a couple saves. So I kind of knew that he's made a couple saves. So it's going to be earlier that. You know, it's going to come sooner to me that, you know, I might have to win the game for us. So, uh, yeah, then he made that last save before me. And I was kind of already in the mindset that, I want, you know, I'm going to go up and win it because, you know, we were already ahead of them. So I knew if I made mine, it could be the winner. So I kind of didn't want to go, you know, celebrate. And when he's made the save, because, you know, I was already in the back of my head that he's going to save this and I'm going to go up and win it. I kind of already pictured all that. So it was, you know, like, like it like the picture just a quick little celebration you know I was just trying to get my my head straight and you know walk up there confidence and put it in because you know I don't want to be seen you know jumping around and celebrating before I take the penalty and I don't care you know how nervous I was on the inside I wasn't going to show that <laughs> even if I was um but yeah like the, I mean I was just trying to keep my head on you know on my shoulders and not not be too nervous not be too overconfident just kind of put it in. Busio, take us into the construction of the PK lineup. When did you crack into that? And did you have you always been fourth in the rotation? Or how, how did this all come together for you? Um, so this was my first penalty shootout with the and I was professional actually. So um I don't really know how they determine that. Obviously in training we take penalty, we take a lot of penalties. Um and before like the regular season, it's normally just um, you know, the guys who are gonna take them in the game. And I always like to put myself with them. So it's usually like I mean this year is Pulido and Johnny and, you know, Kyrie and guys like that. And you know, I'll always put myself in there even if I'm probably not gonna take one in the game if they're there. So um Johnny would always he'd probably always make fun of me for being there and taking them just because he was like, you're never going to take him in the game. So I was kind of, you know, I just take him for fun, really. And then, um, but I think I'm pretty good at them. I like to take them. I enjoy taking them. And I think I'm pretty good at them. So um, when I got subbed in, I kind of knew that I was going to take one. I knew that the coaches, you know, trusted me and they knew I took good penalties. So I kind of didn't really have to, to say anything. And they never made the order, like, in practice or anything. So it was kind of... I kind of saw it coming, but also you didn't really know. And, you know, I got subbed in and, you know, I was one of the main, you know, attackers that usually the forwards would go first, the midfielders and all them before the defenders, unless they, you know, take them really well. So I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I was going to step up and, you know, have to take one. So I was kind of ready for that, and you know, excited also, because like I said, I enjoy taking them. You've got the confidence. That's like a huge part <laughs> of the equation. So yeah, yeah. that you blasted it in. <laughs> Yeah, confidence is a big part of it, yeah. And I, I think your teammates had uh, a lot of confidence in you as well, talking to a few of them, Tim Melia, Ilya, a few others after the after the game. They said when he was walking up there, we knew we were going to win it. Um, uh, I'm curious, you said that's your first PK shootout as a, as a professional, obviously. Um, where, does this, where does that moment kind of rank in terms of your still young career here? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of the – top moments so far uh, obviously I haven't had many you know big big moments yet just you know because it's a it's a young career so far but you know obviously there's there's scoring goals in games that you know when it's 4-0 they're scoring to tie the game scoring to win the game but you know it's also it's pretty special in a penalty shootout when it's just you and the goalie you score you're through you know you miss you're out something like that so it's I, I've always you know thought about it I've watched many games I've watched you know I've done it in FIFA 
So it's kind of, it was kind of like, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, I've actually never experienced one like this with a lot of pressure. And it just kind of made, it was, it was all, you know, surreal to me. And it was pretty cool just to be in, you know, part of it, even to score the winning one, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, wrote it any better. So I've got a couple of questions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, first of all, the game was so weird because obviously you guys controlled everything, 35 shots. And I have to imagine that the frustration is just building when you have that many shots and you just, you can't get that goal to go through. And we were talking when we were broadcasting the game and looking at the, the videos, we were talking even before it got to penalties. If Vancouver is able to get this into penalties, they're going to be thrilled. They want to be in penalties. Sporting doesn't want to be in penalties. Sporting feels like they should have won this game in regulation. But you also have Tim Mealy on your side, like you said, which has to give you some confidence. So I'm curious, like, what was the can – you, can you describe what the feeling was like just going into penalties because of that? And was there any conversation with you and the players about that once you guys got there that you got to change your mindset to be okay with the fact that you're in penalties when you maybe feel like you shouldn't have been? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think obviously it did. we were frustrated with uh, the amount of chances we created and we couldn't score. But I think because we were creating so many chances, we knew that we were the more confident team. We were, you know – we were on the front foot and we were created creating chances even after we weren't even scoring them. We kept on creating. That's a big thing because some teams, you know, you'll create a couple and, you know, you'll miss easy chances and then you'll stop creating them and you'll let the other team go forward. We were, you know, continuing, kept on going and going until the, the you know, the last minute. And um, obviously some teams go on the PK shootout and be like, oh, you know, this is so unlucky. You know, they're going to get lucky win. And, you know, we should have won in regular time with the guys that, you know, we have in our team. We immediately after the game was over or, the, you know, let's say blew the, the final whistle, we were kind of like, all right, that's over with. Let's win penalties. You know, why why worry about that? We'll look at that in the meeting next time after we make it to the next game. But as of right now, we're, we're even. We're in the penalty shootout. It's us against them. We have to be confident. We can't worry about what, we, what happened in the game because that's just going to make it worse. So everybody was, you know, pretty much in a good mood because, you know, we had the confidence that, you know, we have Tim and goal. And we have good, you know, penalty takers that, you know, we're going to go out and win this even if it's no matter how we have to. And my second question on this, you're obviously also a very gifted set piece taker. When it comes to free kicks, comes to corner kicks, you said you feel really confident. You feel like you're a good penalty taker as well. There's a lot that goes into it, but what's the biggest key? What is the biggest key for your success when it comes to all those different types of set piece opportunities? Why are you so good at it? Um, that's tough. Um, well, yeah, I guess I can start with when I was, I mean, when I was younger, I, I, I watched a lot of videos on, you know, how to take, you know, free kicks, how to take corners and just the, the technique. Cause even as a kid, you might not have the power and you might not have the, the exact, you know, how hard you want to hit it, but you can always practice tech, the technique. And, you know, I've used the same technique since I was a kid taking free kicks and stuff. So I think that, uh, for me, it's kind of, I know I have the confidence in myself that I can, I can, you know, I still have the technique. And then I think it's just um, in games, it's kind of, you want to, you got to visualize where you want it. So especially like on, on corner kicks, you want to see it, you know, going right on top of the six, you want to see it landing on somebody's head. And that's what I kind of visualize and, you know, and, and free kicks, you, you know, visualize it going in, you know, you have little targets for yourself where you want to put it and, you know, just the confidence in yourself that you can put it there. So like in, like in the penalties, you know, obviously, uh, the goalie was having a good game, but I knew that if I if I put this where I want it to be, then it, there's no way he saves it. 
So that's what I was kind of, that's what I go into taking free kicks as, corner kicks, always that mindset that, you know, I'm going to put it where, where I want to and I'm going to picture it going to exactly where I want to. But hopefully it'll do what I want it to. So it's very mental. That's interesting. And I like the, the YouTube university. There's so much you can learn just watching videos. So uh, tip for anyone watching this show who wants to uh, maybe improve their technique. But I want to talk about uh, Thomas Assal and his performance in that game as another young player uh, with a huge performance in this tournament. What did you just make of what he brought to that game? And what was it like lining up uh, across from him before your PK? Um, yeah, obviously he was, uh, he was having a good game and it was, it was pretty cool to see just cause, you know, he's another young kid and, you know, I was, I was happy for him, but you know, when it came down to me versus him, I'm going to change myself every time. I don't really care how good of a game you're having. I want to, I want to win. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly didn't even think about it that much. Um, after the game, I, I kind of saw his highlights. I was like, oh, he really had a good game. And, you know, he had a lot of confidence. So I could have thought about that a little more, but. Um, no, when I stepped up there, like I said before, it was more about me. Like I said, it was if I put this exactly where I want it, he's not going to save it. And, I mean, he, he made a good attempt on it, and he guessed the right way. But, you know, I put it where I wanted it to and had the right pace and power. And, you know, he had a good effort. But, you know, luckily for me, it went in. And, you know, props to the guy. He had an amazing game. It was, you know, he made some really good saves. And, you know, it was, it was going to be hard to beat him. And, um yeah, in the PK shootout, he also did really well. He guessed right, and he guessed pretty much right on almost all of them. So, um, yeah, all the best to him. But, you know, I'm happy that, you know, we can go through. You made the PK. You guys are through. It's the quick turnaround to the uh, to the quarterfinals now in this, you know, once-in-a-lifetime tournament. Um, what have you seen? Have you been able to watch much of the, the Union's games down here? And, I think a lot of people are looking at it. Two of the more exciting teams in the tournament going up against each other. So, uh, what do you, what do you expect from them? Um, yeah, I've seen a couple of their games, and obviously they've they've always been a good team. They have you know exciting players. They have you know young young exciting players also. So it's uh, it's going to be. I hope it's going to be in a. It's going to be an intense game. There's going to be a lot of. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and hopefully more for us. But um, I think our our defense has been good these past couple games. So I think it's going to be very difficult to to deal with all of them. But with the the form we're in, with the I think it's two clean sheets in a row right now. And, you know, with Tim and goal and, you know, the back line playing extremely well, I think we can hopefully handle handle their attacks and, you know, hopefully we can create more than they can. And hopefully this this game we can act, we can finish them and you know, all the chances we're creating. Hopefully we're a little cleaner in the final third and we can put them in. But it's going to be a really hard fought game and we're going to have to match their intensity and hopefully we can come out on top. You know, it sounds like all the things you just said about that game against Philadelphia also go for the second leg of this uh, grudge match in uh, mini golf. So, uh, Boos, I just want to say thank you for the time and best of luck in both of those competitions because I know how, how important they both are to you. <laughs> yeah, tonight it's all mini golf. It's all focused on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, get, guys. Thanks get it done, Boos. Thank you. Hey, envision that ball going in the hole just like you do, you know, the free <laughs> kick landing on somebody's forehead. It's all, it's all about making it. Same the, thing. Yeah, the <laughs> imagery right there. All right, Boos, take care, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. See ya. All right, that is uh, Jean-Luc Abusio. We're going to take a break. We'll be back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show right after this.
And back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting KC Show, presented by Michelob Ultra, Nate Katie with Carter Augustine and Ali Trost. Our thanks to you for watching on our video streaming platforms or listening on Sports Radio 810 or wherever you get your podcast. And it's time now to preview this matchup in the quarterfinals, Sporting KC and the Philadelphia Union. And, guys, I'm not sure I'm reading this correctly, but it says here that the game's going to kick off at 7 o'clock Central Time. That is way too conventional of a kickoff time for me. I'm used to 8 a.m. I'm used to 10 o'clock at night. I was figuring this game might kick off maybe at like 2 in the morning or something. We actually get a 7 o'clock Central Time kickoff on Thursday night. Carter, how do you think the players will adjust to playing at uh, – well, Carter's face is frozen right now. I mean, so I'm going to go to you, Allie, until Carter comes back to us. How do you think the players are going to adjust to this type of a kickoff time? It's interesting because I don't feel like the late or really early start times have been any sort of setback for Sporting Kansas City at all. Hearing all the players talk about, um, you know, the, the really late start time or the really early start time, it seems like each of them took both of the very different situations like, hey, yeah, it's just another game doesn't really do anything for us you know whether it's positive or negative um but I think having a normal start time will be probably a breath of fresh air both of their games to start out the MLS is back tournament where it's seven most MLS games uh are around seven o'clock at night so I think it'll be I think it'll be good but Sporting Kansas City's proven that early start time late start time we'll just get two shutouts so it doesn't matter yeah I I um I'm right there with you, Allie. Um, I'm curious. They have lucked out the last two games because in the morning it wasn't as hot as a lot of the other games have been in the morning. And then Sunday night is probably the coolest night that we've had down here in Orlando. So uh, maybe if uh, if it's another hot game, these are two teams that uh, like to press. And so uh, you wonder how maybe that will have an effect on the game. But, man, I'm looking forward to this matchup. I think I saw – Sam Sam Stachko was uh, said the point like Philadelphia is getting they're getting to that equilibrium point where everyone's saying they're underrated to the point where like maybe they're properly rated now and maybe eventually might be overrated but uh, they've been everyone's darlings for about a year now and and for good reason um, man I, I think Jim Curtin is I think he's done a fantastic job and I think that's a good model. You know, Peter Vermees obviously is such a great model for any team, but they can also look at what Philadelphia's done. Curtin coming up through the academy, and they've given him time. You know, they didn't like he struck like they struggled a couple a couple years there at the beginning, but they've given him time. They didn't have a quick trigger, and they're starting to see it pay dividends. Okay, so let's go through some of the some of the guys that maybe you you should watch out for on this Philadelphia Union team. When we mentioned Andre Blake a couple of segments ago. He's one of the best goalkeepers in all of MLS. He's been tremendous in this competition, making some big-time saves for Philadelphia. But I think the guys – we just talked to Jean-Luc Abusio. There's a lot of conversation around him because of these big-name clubs in Europe that supposedly are interested in him. Well, that's the case for a couple of guys for the Philadelphia Union as well. Myself, as a, as a bit of a Celtic FC fan, I've noticed especially they're talking a lot about Brendan Aronson, the young midfielder, and Mark McKenzie. They have uh, reported interest from clubs like Celtic and some other big clubs across Europe. And Carter, I'll start with you. Out of those two guys, uh, what, what, what me excites you about them? And, and, and it's going to be fun to get a chance to watch those guys uh, coming up on Thursday night. Man, they're two, I'm, I, I'm with you. Those are two very exciting prospects. 
Uh, we'll start on the defensive side. McKenzie's so quick and so strong. Um, and he's really, you know, he's played a lot of minutes already in his young professional career. So um, I, I think we could maybe see him as a U.S. center back for, for some time. And uh, I'm excited to see how he matches up against a, a forward with the, the quality like Alan Polito. Um, then Brandon Aronson, you know, he kind of reminds me of David Silva a little bit in, in how he just like glides across the ground. It, it seems almost effortless when he's got the ball at his feet. Um, just a, a very creative player as well. He, he can dribble, he can dribble guys. He can make the pass. Um, I think, I think Taylor Twelman has had some really good insights as to in the final third, he needs to maybe clean it up a little bit, but you know, he's a young guy and um Rightfully so. All those teams are watching, watching. I, I don't know about you, Allie, but I, I really like watching that kid play. Oh, my gosh. I mean, both of these players, I think, are going to be uh, maybe not. a. I think, well, I'll start up top first with Brendan Aronson. I think, you know, if we're going to see the same starting defensive lineup for Sporting Kansas City with Kunchich and Graham Smith, this will be a good test for them uh, just to see if they can continue the success that the two of them have had. Uh, anchoring that center back role and against a player like Aronson, who's been, uh, so, like you said, so creative. And and while, you know, maybe some of the those final moments at finishing touch might not be there, that's only going to develop as he gets more minutes and, and keeps playing. What's, what's scary about this Philadelphia team is that they are gaining that momentum and you bring up the, you know, the, if you're looking at the scale, are they overrated, underrated, just the correct amount of rated? They've got this underdog mentality. And when you've got younger players like that who are trying to prove themselves and are getting uh, international recognition, you just never really know what you're going to necessarily get. So I, I'm excited to see that matchup and to see the Sporting Kansas City defense, uh, if they can keep that momentum going with this kind of new look that we're seeing with Kunchich and Graham Smith, which I would imagine uh, we might keep seeing if, if Vermees is going to stick with what's been working and what's been consistent. But Mark McKenzie was phenomenal in the uh, New England Revolution game and, and helped them get that that gritty one nothing win. So I think it's just going to be all around a, a great, great matchup with a lot of key players to watch. I, I mean, we just mentioned the Philadelphia ones, but I think Sporting Kansas City also getting a lot more recognition in this tournament. The Minnesota game uh, had a lot of people criticizing you know their performance and wondering if they'd make it through this tournament the way that some people thought they would and now they're showing that they are definitely a contender uh for the uh the not the not the cup the the mls back cup is that what we're calling it have we seen the trophy yet guys do we have you carter have you seen the trophy do we know what it looks, looks like, like if there is one <laughs> <laughs> no idea i'm assuming it has mickey mouse ears on it that's the only thing i can think of it better I hope it does if it doesn't, it should basically be a soccer ball with Mickey Mouse here. And if it's not, somebody failed big time. Uh, or at least – or a goofy hat maybe. You know, the goofy hat yeah. with the little teeth. Something in that regard. Or we've just failed as a league and, uh, you know, and I'm not going to accept it. Um, maybe it could be like one of those Mickey Mouse cups with the big straw. I don't know. Um, but for Philadelphia, with the young players they do have, they've surrounded them with some good veteran leadership as well. Alejandro Bedoya is probably, you know, the, the biggest name there. But, I mean, guys like Casper Shabilko and Sergio Santos, who had the goal against uh, uh, New England, they, they've got some good veterans. That's what you want to put around a young cast of players like that that, that allows them to grow into the game. Now, one other storyline here for Sporting Kansas City is the fact that maybe the guy that, that's been the biggest bright spot for Sporting so far in this competition, Kyrie Shelton, left – with an apparent leg injury. He looked like he was uh, you know, holding his groin, receiving treatment when he left the field. 
Carter, I don't know if you have any insight for us, but certainly we know Sporting has some more options there. They, they have some depth, but Kyrie Shelton, the way he's played this competition, would be a big loss not to have him in this game on Thursday night if he's not able to recover. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. He's just He's been performing down here in Orlando, not only on the offensive side, but the work he puts in. Um, and so that'll be a big loss if, if he can't go. I, I'm curious because it's such a short turnaround um, between these two games, you know, um, you hope that, that he can recover. Um, certainly he'll be working to try and get back into the fold here, but um, you wonder, you know, who would fill in? Would it be Gerso? Would it be Daniel Shallowy? Uh, maybe Eric Hurtado? You know, it, there's some, there's some options. Um, and yeah, he's, he's been fantastic. And it was, it was a bummer to, to see him go down before the final whistle there. Yeah, yeah and, I think. No, it, go ahead. It's going to be, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I mean, obviously the good news is that both Gerso and Johnny Russell have had some success. Unfortunately for Daniel, he missed a penalty in this game. We got to see him get going. Everybody's rooting for him to get himself going and on the right track as well. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a good game. Uh, before we wrap things up, guys, just want to get your thoughts elsewhere in this tournament now that we're starting to see the quarterfinals shake up a little bit. Maybe I'll ask each one of you for one thing, uh, maybe a team, maybe a storyline that has really stuck out for you so far in this competition. Uh, the, the, one of the storylines for me is how many of the big-name teams we've already seen go home before we got to the quarterfinals. Of course, teams like Atlanta and the New York Red Bulls before we even and, and the LA Galaxy before we even got out of the knockout stages. And now in the knockout stages, We've already seen Toronto FC and Seattle get sent home as well. Now, of course, Seattle went up against what looks like a juggernaut right now. But for me, you look at some of these names that are still in this competition versus some of the teams that are already out. That's my storyline. What's maybe something that stood out to you, Carter, so far uh, down in Orlando? Um, I think we've seen some mistakes in the knockout rounds that have led to goals and Obviously, goals change games. We say that all the time. Um, but in these, these winner-go-home situations, uh, man, I, I, especially last night, the L.A., Seattle, and the RSL uh, versus San Jose game, we saw uh, quite a few mistakes that wound up being goals. And so I think, you know, the team that can, can maybe minimize the amount of those big mistakes they make will maybe go the farthest here. That's really stood out to me as far as the knockout rounds so far. Yeah, I think for me, um, a team that I think was very under the radar and because it was their host city, there was a lot of questions how they would do. Seeing Orlando get as far as they have, although they did lose Dom Dwyer to injury, I think that that's been a very um, unexpected, yet also something that people were kind of rooting for, given that it is in Orlando. Really interested to see how this game goes for them against an LAFC team that just seems to still be really really solid um even even without their their best goal scorer in Carlos Vela yeah so the last two spots in the quarterfinals are up for grabs tonight we're of course doing this on a Tuesday Columbus versus Minnesota Columbus has been one of the real bright spots they've looked great so far in this competition and then Portland against Cincinnati so those are the last two games of this round of 16 then on Thursday we get into the quarterfinals with Sporting Kansas City against the Philadelphia Union standalone game. It's on ESPN. You'll be able to listen to it on Sports Radio 810 WHB Live. 
I'll also make sure you know we've got an hour-long pregame show on Fox Sports Kansas City from 6 to 7. Leading up to the game, we're going to have all kinds of great content exclusively from inside the bubble with Carter Augustine for that on Fox Sports Kansas City. Then myself, Jacob Peterson, and Carter will be on the play-by-play on the radio broadcast at that point in time at 7 o'clock. After the game, 30-minute post-game show with Zoom calls and everything from the players and reactions after the game on Fox Sports Kansas City. And Allie, you and Dave Borchert and uh, Chad Reynolds with the final whistle post-game show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. All of it presented to you by Michelob Ultra. So kick back, have a couple of Michelob Ultras, start at 6 o'clock with pregame, all the way till 10 o'clock with postgame, wrapping up. And hopefully we're talking about Sporting Kansas City punching their tickets to the semifinals of the MLS is back tournament. That's going to do it for us, for Gianluca Busio, for Carter Augustine. Head out to that beach, Carter. Get, you know, work on that beach bot a little bit. And, uh, and for Ali Tros, this is Nate Katie saying thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week on the Sporting Kansas City Show.